hey, everybody talks about technique and the tactical, and there are elements, attributes that can be trained sort of thing. Everybody talks about the physical component and there are activities, things that you can do, push-ups, whatever the fuck it is. There are activities. Are Why don't we talk about or are there or can we have some activities that work on developing the mental, the fourth and final most important component of a player, the mental component? Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 343 Podcast, where we work tirelessly to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. I'm joined once again by exceptional coach, colleague, friend, Joey Cassio. The topic this time, mentality. Player attributes are compartmentalized in four general categories. The technical, the tactical, the physical, and the psychological slash mental. They're all critical. But man, that fourth one seems a bit different from the others. It's tough to put your finger on it. But one thing is certain. Without having the requisite mentality, not only will the player not come remotely close to maximizing the other three components and fulfilling their proverbial potential, but worse, they could irreversibly limit themselves even to the point of throwing in the towel when certain challenges arise. With that, it's interesting to peer into whether something can or can't be done within their training environments. Because let's be real, the strongest of influences on a person's mentality are almost certainly outside of football. Take a listen to one of the great managers of all time, Arsene Wenger. To give you a number, uh, between 16 and 20, people are professional. 67% of them are not anymore in football at the age of 21. And not even in football anymore. At all. And at all. They go off the rails somehow and the whole life. And uh, that is already the elite of the elite, yeah, the guys yeah. who are in the academies, you know, that shows you how difficult it is. And I would say as well, the other thing that we noticed by making the profile of psychological profile of the young boys is that uh, the stamina in the motivation is more important than the intensity of the motivation. Mm. That means role who resists to frustration. When the guy has a low rate, for example, no to 10, is a two or three in stamina of the motivation. He doesn't survive. Because you have to deal with frustration, with disappointment, with the not being selected and still keep going. And those who keep going make it. I hope you enjoy as Joy and I explore this area a bit. But first, if you're a coach or a parent of a player, please take a few moments to listen to what sponsors this episode. There's a coaching education and parent education product that I have no doubt at all can help your cause. Specifically for coaches, found at 343coaching.com. And the other, specifically for parents of youth players, found at 343masterclass.com. For coaches, this is a coaching program that I know, without hesitation, will greatly amplify your coaching capabilities and thus your teams, players, and yes, if you make or would like to make a living from coaching, your career in that as well. Why? How do I know these things? Because the creators of the program, namely us personally, 343, have been there and done that. From the lowest of levels to the very pinnacle of the youth level here in the United States. From the youngest of ages all the way to graduating an unprecedented number of professionals. The work of my brother Brian Clyburn helped bring about a seismic shift to the American soccer landscape. What many thought was not possible with American youth was shown to be possible. And through a series of online modules and lessons, you get to watch and listen in as he trains his actual teams in the actual training environment. He's not following any script. He's not using other people's players or teams. No, no, no. You get to see the actual practitioner in action in the real live environment. Since the inception of the program, thousands of coaches have leveraged the methodology and have had great success within their own contexts. Not to mention, cutting out the years of trial and error that so many of us coaches have to go through before learning some very hard lessons. So coach, get your butt over to 343coaching.com and get started. There are both free and premium programs for you available. Parents, for you guys, the program is at 343masterclass.com. We know it could be quite difficult, even frustrating, 
deciding how to best mentor and guide your kid through the American soccer landscape. Some might say hellscape. There are countless and never-ending questions preoccupying your mind. How good is my kid? Is he playing at the right club? Is he playing for the right coach? Is the grass greener if we were to make a change now? What should my kid be working on? At what age should X, Y, or Z be happening? Am I wasting our time and money? Why isn't my kid getting more playing time? Should my kid be playing up in age? Should I get a personal trainer? What exercise activities and drills can I have my kid do? Again, literally, countless and never-ending thoughts and questions. None of which, by the way, have definitive answers. Because unlike mathematics, the context and idiosyncrasies of your particular situation matter. So, how can parents best be helped then? The answer is education. Good education, proper education about football itself. The more correct and fundamental things you know, the better discernment you'll have, and thus the better guidance and mentorship you can provide your kid. There's a reason, guys, a reason why so many top players have parents who were former pros or played at a high level. It's because they get it. They, they know what it takes. They have experience. The 343 Masterclass is a program designed to accelerate the growth of your base level knowledge, important knowledge, the critical stuff, not the fluff, not the superficial stuff, the fundamentals, the things that matter. And it's practical. Not only are there fundamental activities and drills showcased for your kid to train with, but perhaps more important are the lessons meant to increase your level of footballing discernment. Because without that, the advice and guidance you're giving your kid may not exactly be the best. So, okay, go to 343masterclass.com, get on the email list, and we'll send you the details. All right, let's get into today's episode. I'm going to ask you to lead this one very much so because I, I saw you sent me bullet points, but I forgot. And then I remember when I read the bullet points, I'm like, I wonder what he means by that. Yeah. No, we've the last like handful of times that we've gotten together and met, the conversation has kind of gone down the road of the lack of mindset and mentality in young players. And it's probably not just soccer players, but maybe in general, young people in general, the lack of you know, just mentality to perform at a high level in whatever it is they're doing. Obviously, we both work in soccer, so we see it all the time with young soccer players. There's a constant focus, of course, and us, we discussed this too. The, the players have to develop the skills and what's the best way to develop skills, individual and both team. But there's also probably the most important component to all of it is the mentality of the player. If the player doesn't have the mentality, then yeah, no matter how good the skills can be, they're probably not going to make it to a level where, you know, they're having a career beyond youth soccer. And it's, yeah, it's just something that we've discussed quite often. So that's what I had in mind, man. So I imagine that you've come across this in your coaching. Yeah, on many different levels, Gary. I see it in my teams. I see it in general across the landscape. The culture is such with the system. And again, I, we've said this before, I don't, I don't necessarily blame the players, the parents, the coaches, the clubs. It starts at the top and the culture that has been established from those that sort of govern the sport in this country. They've created a culture of entitlement and we see decision-making from families and players, not based on what do I think is the best environment for my kid, the whole package, the skills, learning to play the game, but also, you know, I work in boys soccer. So I'm going to say like, Hey, parents looking for the coach that can make their boy into a man, because if they want to be playing at the next level, collegiate pro, whatever it is, they got to be a man and they got to be prepared for the shit that they're going to have to come across. And that's not easy to deal with. And the system as it is, you know, like, Oh, you know, I don't like the amount of playing time that we're getting. Let's jump over here. Or you know what? You're best player on your team. We need to go find a new league for you to play in because that's how you're going to make it. And if your decision-making process is driven by those things and you're missing or not necessarily looking for the coach that's going to create that environment that's going to hold your player accountable, teach them discipline, teach them preparation, they're missing that massive part of the development process. 
and they're going to be they're going to be in big trouble if they try to take that next step and they don't have those qualities. Yeah, I think we also mentioned in the youth landscape that things like let's say you're the best player among the best players, you can get away with so much and not have consequences here in youth American soccer. For example, being late to training. For example, saying, "Oh, I have to leave a little early today from training." For example, Mm, I can't make it this weekend for X, Y, or Z reasons, family, whatever, or not giving it a hundred percent in your training sessions, going half machine or quarter machine or three quarters machine in exercises, uh, especially like the running sort of conditioning things. When you get older, you know, nobody likes to do that necessarily. It's a very rare exception that a player will take pride in doing those sorts of things. So if you're like the best player, one of the best players, you might half-ass it a bit because all of this, because on the weekend, you know that you're going to play, you're going to be the starter. And it's very difficult for the coach or the club to sit you because of that threat of just packing your bags and going to another club. And so this is how the environment, the top level environment, the structure of the ecosystem, you know, cascades all the way down to an individual player on some random team in the country. It could be the top team in the country. It could be an average team or it could be the lowest level team. But the best players start feeling this entitlement and along with it, the parents also, because the parents are like, listen, we can, we can take this training session day off because I have other things to do and it's not going to cost my kid anything because he's going to play on the weekend. He's the best player or one of the best players. Contrast that to overseas. You don't get away with that stuff because at least if we're talking about being at a club that has a first team, whether it be in the first division, the second division, the third division, whatever, if they have a first team, everybody's kind of fighting to, you know, eventually get to that first team. And they're trying to develop professional soccer players uh, to, to a greater extent than we are over here. And you just can't get away with it because the clubs over there know, or they have a different incentive structure. They know that if you don't have that sort of discipline at the youth level, it's not going to be good you're not going to be a success at the pro level. So if they start seeing this sort of stuff, they'll sit you. They don't care if you're the best player. You ain't playing this weekend. And that usually, it seems from from what I've heard and what I've seen, it rectifies the situation, not all the time, but certainly to a much greater extent than here in America. Because here in America, you can't even sit the kid. I mean, you can. And many coaches who have a very strong character and have the full support of the club in its entirety they could do that sometimes it works sometimes it corrects the path of the kid uh, to a certain degree but by and large at scale the vast majority of coaches can't afford to sit out their best kids and it's not that they don't want to they want to do the right thing they want to try to teach these sorts of lessons but if you sit out the best kid, what happens next, Joey? I mean, you can tell the story. What happens if you sit out the best players? Tell me. Yeah, you probably, you run the risk of losing the game, right? Maybe it affects your, your standing in the league, where you're at in the standings. And then not just that one player you, you have a problem with, but you possibly have problems with other players in the team. You're not winning. What's going on? Or why didn't you play the best player? So not only is that best player and their family may be upset, but others now are upset. And if you're trying to recruit top players and you didn't win or your place in the standings has dropped, now it becomes harder to recruit those top players from other teams to come into your program. So it's not that you, the particular coach, don't want to do the right thing, which is potentially sitting out the kid, right? It's all the effects that come from that because, and it's not that you, the coach, let me take that back. It's not that you, the coach, want to win and like win at all costs. You would prefer doing the right thing for the right developmental reasons. That's what you would like to do instead of winning. But you as a coach here in the American ecosystem know that if you don't win, <laughs> what happens? You have all of these consequences here and it's not your fault. And it's not necessarily the fault of the, of the club either. It's the fault of the environment. You don't win. The parents get on your case. You already describe it. It all starts falling apart for your team because other clubs, other leagues become that much more attractive. They get the recruiting power over you because you're losing games. Um, the club gets on your case because if you lose 
games and you lose parents, you're losing customers, you're losing revenue. So the club certainly wants you to win as much as possible and not sacrifice that because it, it hits the bottom line. And the clubs, you know, if they start shedding their best players elsewhere, you start downward spiraling. And instead of becoming a better and better and better club, you start going down and down and down, and then you can't get in the best leagues. Um, I mean, it's just a disaster for business. And all of this happens, again, not because of youth soccer being the problem. Youth soccer as a whole has this problem because we at the professional level don't have a structure set up such that everybody in the ecosystem is incentivized organically incentivized towards player development. hundred percent. There's a, there's a perception of what the, what the right path is for players. And I would say in general, a lot of the players, once they get to that level to take the next step, it's very difficult and they come across problems that they've never faced before and they have to figure it out on the fly. And they, they haven't gone through that process at all through the youth, uh, the youth development road. And it's very difficult. And, you know, the American player going overseas, it, it's becoming a bigger thing, but there's still not a lot of players who have really broken through. We have immense talent here in America, but how many of them, like the super talented players, how many of them have really broken through at the very top level of the game? You know, we've seen, we've seen a batch go over there and they've done all right, but I would argue that those aren't our most talented players. There's players that are more talented than them, but maybe because the structure that we're talking about hasn't prepared them mentally to be able to perform at that level. Yeah. So Joey, if the structure itself, if the soccer environment here is not capacitated or equipped or incentivized to develop that mental side, the most critical side of a player, especially at the next levels, because ultimately, and this is not a secret, everybody sees this on Instagram reels on TikTok, in the media, where you see clips of Kobe Bryant, Cristiano Ronaldo, all the elite level athletes and testimonials of other top level athletes about the mental component that, yeah, so-and-so was super talented, but you know he became a mediocre player, just fell off of the NBA radar because of, he didn't have what it took upstairs. He didn't wake up at five in the morning to go to the gym just by himself, like a, AKA Kobe Bryant, right? And everybody was shocked at the Mamba mentality and all that stuff. There's something to that. So my point is that it's not a secret. Everybody sees these stories. Um, my question to you is then ultimately, if our environment is not equipped in soccer to develop the mental side, who has to pick up the slack? Because some players who have gone say overseas or become pros here domestically in MLS, they have done well. You know, we can talk about the Gio Reyna, we can talk about Tyler Adams, we can talk about Weston McKinney, we can talk about the Aronson brothers, we can talk about, you know, there's a, there's a population, a small, it's small, a small percentage of players who actually break through. And it is clearly evident that they do have it upstairs, that they work, that they understand if there are obstacles and there are challenges that it's part of it and you keep going and keep going and keep going. If it's not the youth soccer system here, I shouldn't say youth. If it's not the American soccer ecosystem culture that is equipped to develop the mentality, who is developing the mentality? Why? Who does it fall? Who's the responsibility on? Well, I think we've, and we've talked about this in prior episodes, the parents play such a huge role. And I think when they're identifying, you know, of course, they're, how they behave with the kid at home, how they raise the kid at home, huge part of it. But if we're just talking about within the soccer realm, identifying an environment where the coach is going to implement those sorts of things. So I would say, yeah, it's the parents and then a coach. And for the coach, it's very difficult because like you just laid out, you're going against the grain. You're doing something that's not what your average club or coach is doing because of all the pressures. So you have to find a coach who's, who's got the courage to go against all of that and work to implement an environment that's going to develop those things in the players. Got it. Makes sense. I, I think that's accurate. Um, I think a lot of it falls on the parents 
a great proportion, a much larger percentage, because simply if you just look at the amount of time that a kid spends in each of their environments, whether it be school, whether it be with their friends, whether it be with their soccer team, i.e. coach, um, and of course their parents, if you just look at the raw number of time, the parents have the vast majority of time with the kid. So they have the greatest access to their minds than anybody else. And in the eyes of the kid, they are the number one authority. Even if they're trying to rebel against parents or whatever, they know that the number one authority in their life is their parents. It's not the coach. It's not their friends. It's not the school teacher. It's the parents. So I think that has to be, I mean, nobody's perfect, but it has to be at least good enough for these kids then to establish commitment, discipline, responsibility, good habits. Um, th that structure the human being towards, I mean, getting to getting as far as they can possibly get, you know, as far as their abilities can allow them to get to, because clearly if, if you're not an athlete, it doesn't matter how good, how disciplined, how committed you are, you're not going to be LeBron James to, to obviously make the point. Um, so, so what is it that they need to learn, Joe, if there was something specific? So for, in, for instance, if we're talking about tech, developing technique. Everybody can talk about, oh, you need to know how to stop the ball across the body. You need to know how to be able to hit it with the laces. You have to be able to open your hips. You have to be able to do all these different types of strokes. You have to be able to blah, 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 blah. And if you talk about tactics, we can talk about, oh, you have to be able to identify, you know, how to build out of the back, how to find your center mids, how to lose your man, how to, all these attacking patterns. There's clearly defined sorts of things to develop skills. When it comes to mentality, I don't think we talk about that enough. Can you rattle off the skills to develop a, a person's mentality? I, I think we both and everybody would have difficulty. You'd have to sit there and think about, huh, I haven't thought about that actually. What are the skills that we should be working on to develop the mental side? Curious, no? Yeah, it's hard. I think you, you have to have courage, number one, because you're gonna make decisions and people are going to question your decisions. So you got to be able to make those decisions, identify what needs to be done, make the decisions, but also communicate why you're making those decisions and how it's going to benefit the individual, how it's going to benefit the team. Not, not easy to do in the youth soccer marketplace. But, you know, it, me, I, I have two young daughters now, and the oldest one is six. And I've started to think about this a little bit, you know, when it comes to her parents, it's like, you tell her to do stuff. She's like, yeah, 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 dad. Yeah, dad. You know? And so I, I've started to think about, you know, identifying a mentor for her in something that she enjoys doing. And then somebody that she respects and just finding that person in as long as they can put her through that process, trying to get her with that person as much as possible. I haven't found that person, but I've started to think about that, you know, because if it's coming from somebody else as well as us as the parents, I think it's powerful for the young human being. Do you think it's a touchy subject and that's why it's not discussed? Think of marketing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Club is marketing themselves. Come play for us, come play for us, whatever. What is it? Some of the things that they can and do say, we'll develop your technique, we'll develop your, your tactical stuff, the physical component as well, agility, we have personal trainers, blah, 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 blah. Nobody really talks about developing the fourth component, which is the psychological and the mental. It, I'm curious, we're off the cuff here, Joey. I'm curious as to whether nobody cares, that's one possibility, whether um, it's not something that would sell very well, uh, or perhaps it's a sensitive sort of topic because then parents might be thinking, oh, you want to develop my kid's brain and how to think, generally speaking, right? Like, ooh, I, I, I don't know. Does that make, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. I still have not, this is the first time I'm ever trying to articulate this, ever. Yeah. As a coach, I know the pressures of doing this kind of stuff and holding the kids accountable when it comes to this component of their development, the pressures are immense on the coach. And it, I think it's such a struggle. And then of course the club understands that, you know, each coach, they're all talking, 
discussing what they're going through with their teams and the challenges that they're facing with their players and their parents. And you come to the realization that like, oh man, if I really wanted to do this, and if you don't have leverage as the coach, it could completely fall apart on you. So I, I just think that as clubs, we just, we shy away from it because we know that the difficulty of implementing it, not just in one team, but across the club and marketing that, would we really be able to, to stick to it across the club with all of our teams? You're, you're getting into a territory where I think it's very, very difficult for the club to actually execute when it comes to that. If they're marketing mm. that, it's very difficult for them to execute across the club. Now, within a team, you know, I've seen multiple examples of one coach being able to build that culture in their team, or maybe if they have two teams, they're two teams, but across a club, very, very difficult because every team's different. You know, maybe this, maybe this team has 15 players. And if you got two players who are doing what they need to do, and you got to hold them off, off the roster or whatever, that you're basically at 13 players, right? How does that affect things? If you have a roster of 20 players, you're in a much different situation. And maybe you're in a better place to be able to make those decisions because the team as a whole isn't affected as much. But you want to have to build that leverage across the club. And that's very difficult, especially for these big, bigger clubs where you got tons and tons of teams a lot of different coaches, very hard to implement that sort of stuff across an entire club. And I'm curious what kind of exercises, I'm thinking objectively here, what kind mm -hmm. of objective measures could be taken uh, whereby one can say, ah, this person is developing along the mentality side of the equation. So again, we're improvising here. We've never discussed it. Would it be something like always being on time? and somebody on the team being responsible maybe for tracking when every player actually gets to training and not particularly gets to training, but has the boots laced up and they are, they are ready to go. If you ask them to go on the field and do an activity right now, they're ready because some people roll up quote unquote on time, but then they got to put their shoes on and then they're taping themselves up. And then that spills into 10 minutes after training time has commenced. That's not being on time, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. And maybe the person who's logging, who shows up and at what time is another player. That is their responsibility. Um, maybe giving players different jobs. Your job is to collect the pennies every single training session after we're done and having it in the bag, all tidied up, separated by color. I don't know, I'm making it up, Joey. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Uh, and by this particular timestamp after training is over, you have to get the balls. You two are the ones carrying the equipment to coach's car or whatever. Like everybody has a specific assignment and they have to fulfill it. And then maybe yeah. some rotation or something like giving them actual jobs, Joey, and then tracking whether they are again, fulfilling their commitments and are responsible and do it with a certain degree of some certain standards, you know, of quality, even instead of just, uh, my pennies and they just toss it in there without even caring about it at all. Um, I don't know, because how else can you develop good habits, sense of commitment, sense of responsibility with things off of the field, which are so critically important, especially nowadays, if I may be so bold, it seems like a, it's a generation that doesn't want to work. <laughs> And I know every older generation always looks at the up and coming generation, ah, oh, a bunch of bums that, you know, they don't care, uh, lazy, so on and so forth. And maybe that's part of what I'm doing here and I'm culpable of that as well, but I'm just calling it how I see it. And it seems like so many don't want a job. They end up becoming 16, 17, 18, 19, 21 year olds and never even had a job ever. And so maybe when the first time they get a job, they don't even know what this is. Yeah. So, th so those are the sorts of, sorry to ramble. Those are the sorts of things that I'm talking about when, when I say, Hey, everybody talks about technique and the tactical and their elements, attributes that can be trained sort of thing. Everybody talks about the physical component and there are activities, things that you can do, push-ups, whatever the fuck it is. There are activities are, why don't we talk about, or are there, or can we 
have some activities that work on developing the mental, the fourth and final most important component of a player, the mental component. Yeah, I think you're right. I think small assignments within the team, assigning them things to do, rotating those assignments. I think it's just every day the coach has to be on on them about their routine, about their preparation, every rep, you know, every every second of the training session while you have them, you have to keep them on point. And if they aren't, there has to be a consequence to it. You know, they they have to learn what excellent preparation really is. Because if you want to perform, you got to be prepared. If you want to be confident, you have to be prepared. And it's that process of preparation that is key. And I agree with you. You, I look at a lot of young, young people today and that preparation isn't there. You know, maybe there's five minutes of an exercise where they're somewhat focused, but what are they doing when there's a break, when they go to get water, when they go over to get water, are they messing around? Are they joking, not focused? I try to tell the, the kids that hey, you got one minute. You got one minute, go get your water and come back and we're getting back to it. And of course, you know, they want to try to mess around and do whatever. So just keeping them on point all the time. And that's hard, you know, as a coach, that's hard because you got to be engaged with them. There's no breaks for you. But yeah, man, it, there, there just seems to be a lack of that killer instinct, being a savage. You know, I'm, I, I guess I'm, th it applies to anything probably, but in terms of where I'm at in the, in the soccer environment, these kids aren't killers. You know, they just kind of go, they're happy to just go through the motions and do the minimum. And they don't fully understand yet that, yeah, they, they say they want to play at a higher level, but they don't realize what it's going to take. And they need somebody to educate them to do that. I think there Julia. was a video, there was a video, uh, I think you, I think you retweeted it actually of Dana White. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he, he, he just said like, see what he said. Yeah. And he said something along the lines of like, nowadays, you know, you just got, you, if you're a savage, you're going to get what you want because all these, all these young people, man, they, they're soft, they cry, something doesn't go their way. They, they whine, they complain. So if you're the opposite, if you're the savage and you're going to take what you want, you're going to run these people over. Yeah. And it's easy. I, I, the point is, right. It's easier nowadays because there's so fewer savages and so much more soft softies out there. And yeah. So the competition that you'll have is a lot less. I tell young people now all the time. I definitely tell my kids, if you are even fucking remotely a savage, you'll, you'll run these people over mm -hmm. this next generation. And I know that every generation thinks the generation after them is soft. Yeah. They're savages in every but generation. Right now, yeah. If you are even remotely a savage, you, you will run over every one of these, yeah. these kids in this next generation, you know? And then I, what's great is I've said this before and I saw people going, oh my God, to even have that, you're the first fucking guy I'm running over. <laughs> you know what I mean? The people who go, right. oh my God, why would you? You're, you're fucking, I'll run you over in a second, mm -hmm. you know? It's just like. Probably what, won't even need to. They're just going to move over. What do you want out of your life? Yeah. You know, what, what do you want? So do you think, you it, think, it's you think, easy to sit around and fucking cry about everything. Yeah. Get out there and get what you how, want. So it's how, all out there for the taking right now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's true, man. So I, I hear some objections already because I have the audience in my head, not our audience, the entire ecosystem here, mm -hmm. generally speaking, I have my fingers on the pulse. So address this objection for me. Guys, Jesus, are you guys serious? Like this is, we're talking about soccer, youth soccer. Um, you guys are kind of part of the problem, Joey and Gary. Like we have to make it about having fun. It should be fun. And it sounds like what you guys are describing is some sort of military school uh, that you want to put these kids through. Now, I'll, I'm just going to say one phrase, Joey, and you take it from there and see how you address the objection. We absolutely are not talking about instantiating a military school at all. We a hundred percent want a fun environment, but people might have a lot of difficulty, understandably, knowing how both can be done, how it all can be merged together. So I don't know if you can take it away from there. How do you address that? Well, I think it, I think it depends where you're at, right? Within the youth soccer system. I mean, if you, if you want that, you know, that's maybe more so fitting for the recreational environment, but 
I get a lot of kids who their ambition, their goal is to play professionally. If that's their goal, then it's my responsibility to create an environment that's going to prepare them for that. And part of that is discipline, accountability, preparation, all of the things that just the human skills that they're going to need to perform at an elite level, an elite level being a professional level, how to be a pro being a pro, you know, it's not just skills and tactics and this is how I play my position. It's as a human, how do I, how do I wake up every day and go through my routine to prepare myself to perform at that level? And the, the kids have to learn those things if they're going to be able to do it. So yeah, if you are working in an environment that, that is considered elite, quote unquote, for the youth level, that's part of your responsibility to implement that sort of stuff. Got it. How, but do they have fun, Joey? Of course they I mean, do, because, man. So, so, so let's, because some people may not be familiar with you. We have new listeners coming in all the time on random episodes and then reaching out to me is maybe you can give brief background because you just said that you have players or you're working with players, many of which who want to become pros. Um, you have had a number of pros come from or work with you since a young, young age, and some of them are professionals today. Maybe you can just rattle off something about that uh, in your history. You had this Man United team and eventually just, just a brief one. And now that you have you know two or three guys or four guys or whatever the number is out in the professional ranks, this is precisely what it is that you're talking about. Because again, the audience might be like, who is Joey? okay, are you in Missouri here or Kansas or something? And some kids want to be pro, but Joey, you've never even handled somebody who turned pro in the past. So like, what are we even talking about here? Yeah. Back in 2015, I had a, a U11 team at FC Man United, a, a small club. Um, the team was good. We, that was still when we played in Coast Soccer League. So we were in the top flight of the Coast Soccer League, which implemented promotion relegation. Uh, the team, the year before I took it over, they had won the league cup. So it's almost like if, if you go to England or Spain, it's like the, uh, the, the Copa del Rey or the FA cup, every team in the league, regardless of what flight you're in, they compete in that tournament. And the team that I had won that tournament. So the league decided they were a bronze team the year that they won that. They jumped from bronze up to gold because they won that tournament. They were the best team in every flight of the league. Mm. So when I, I got there, I recruited some players, uh, upgraded the roster. We won the, the top flight in Coast Soccer League, and we attracted the attention of LAFC. LAFC called me. They wanted me to come and start their U12 Academy program in 2016. So I launched the LAFC Academy program with this group of players. Um, and now there's Eric Duenas, who's in the first team at LAFC. He was a part of that FC Man United group. Uh, there was Brian Moyado, who was recruited towards the end of the process with the FC Man United team. He's in LAFC too, and he's made a handful of appearances in the U19 U.S. Youth National Team. Uh, there's Diego Rosales, who also uh, is in LAFC too. At the younger ages, he was in the youth national team program. I think now, not so much. Uh, there's Diego Lopez, who went from LAFC to Philadelphia Union, and now he's back at LA Galaxy 2. And then there's another, another one, Ian Mai, who made his professional debut with San Diego Loyal a couple years back. He's kind of been around the USL here in Southern California. Uh, recently tore his ACL, so he's been out for quite some time. But all of those players from that one team that I had at FC Men United and took to LAFC. Brilliant, man. Brilliant. It's, it's incredible work, Joey. Um, I've said it before. I'm going to keep saying it for, for a very long time that it's unfortunate sometimes that, I mean, a lot goes into the success of a player, um, the country they're in, the city they happen to be born in, lucky or unlucky, the parents that they have the ecosystem, the soccer ecosystem that happens to exist in whatever country, state, city they happen to be in. Um, 
the coach, obviously huge influence and the player themselves. So there's, I mean, there's all these factors that are contributors to the success of a player. What's unfortunate many times is that when a player quote unquote makes it, maybe some, like some of your guys makes it to that next level, become professional soccer players. The guys or, or the, the organizations with the largest media distribution capabilities are the ones who claim and get all the credit. And the ones who don't are basically invisible. And that, that bothers me a little bit. You know, we're fortunate over here that we built kind of like a, a little media outlets. And so that's why, you know, some of Brian's work, um, he gets some attribution. Um, but otherwise, there's so many good, hardworking, smart, intelligent, worthy coaches out there yourself being one of them who don't get, they're invisible, who don't get credit. And somehow, some way we should try to change that. We should try to be able to zoom in on a particular player and take a look at what all their touch points were, because that's one way to identify who does great work and who, who does it. It's not, it's not a for sure thing, Joey, at all, because you could be at a professional club academy and have a job there, say, as a coach, and you might be absolutely terrible, but all the other influences are pushing the player towards becoming pros, right? And naturally, the club is going to graduate pros, whether they are good or are not good. They have to do it. They have to kind of put that graduation cap on at least one or two or three players coming through the pipeline. And that doesn't mean that there was good coaches in the pipeline. It just means that they were in that environment and, you know, the club had to graduate some guys and yeah, they were good, but those players may have actually been devastated developmentally and stifled and hammied and all terrible work. So we have to be a little bit, I want to caveat that thing a little bit, but I asked you to share a little bit of your history there because as I said, we're talking about developing that fourth component, the mentality component. And so people might be wondering. Well, what is it that you know, Joey, about this and how, why is it that you've identified it as an issue as have I, and it's because you have seen it play out through the entire trajectory of not just one player, but a number of players from nine years of age up to graduating to professional and now watching them and seeing their progression or lack thereof at the professional level. And then you can start assessing, okay. Why did this player make it this far? Why is it that they're not going any further? A whole bunch of host of questions can be asked with having some credibility that you have, Joey, because you've seen for years the evolution of the player, not just technically, tactically, physically, but from the mental perspective as well. There is insight there to be had versus somebody who has not worked, you know, and seen the whole trajectory play out. Yeah. It it's interesting, Gary. I still track all these guys and I still think about like, okay, yeah, this guy's in the USL, they're in LAFC two, Eric's in the first team, but why yet haven't they accomplished more? Mm -hmm. And there's all, there's a lot of thoughts that go through my head, you know? And I, I really believe that it's not necessarily their soccer talent and I don't know this for sure. I just sort of assume um, that it's more so to do with the mentality. And I just think about, well, how did I treat them? And of course, like you said, they've, they've come across a lot of other coaches along their path, but is how I treated them when they were young, is that having an effect on them now? And could I have impacted them more at a younger age to set them up for where they're at now to maybe achieve more? But there's so many factors in the process, like we've talked about, you know, the, the, the soccer environment in general. And I think, you know, the more talented players are to a certain extent babied more because of all the pressures that, you know, the clubs and the coaches feel and they, they get, I, I see a lot of guys that I've seen when they were young, they get to that, you know, MLS two, um, U20 national team, maybe some of them break into the MLS first team, but that's almost the extent of it. They don't push and break through any further. 
And I always think to myself, why is that? And I believe that, yeah, it's because of the structured soccer system as we have it and all of the pressures that us as coaches have to go through and the clubs, the pressures that they deal with. So I, I've been thinking about that for years. And yeah, because I've watched a lot of, I think I've maybe seen three full cycles now of players and on different levels too, different levels. Even when I coach like bronze and silver teams, I think back to what those environments were, the, the factors that I saw I had to deal with, the parent behaviors with the kids, how the kids behaved, why was that? I thought about all this stuff along the way and I've started to form these, these ideas in my head as to why it is. And, you know, I really think what we've touched on today is a big part of the issues that we all face. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be pro. It could even be college because of, of the large percentage of players that Brian graduated to the professional ranks, whoever did not make it to the, the professional ranks for one reason or another, sometimes it's, it has nothing to do with not being good enough. It has a lot to do with being selected um, and ended up in college. Some guys have done well in college and other guys who surely have a lot more talent than uh, college rosters, they kind of fumbled around and played some, didn't play much, some didn't play at all, some dropped out. And so you can just assess that. So for a whole bunch of coaches out there, the community at large, it doesn't have to be assessing whether a pro player, how they do. You can look at the guys who go to college. How do they do? And much of it comes with respect to how does somebody deal with adversity? Because you go into a college program, and listen, I haven't followed college for quite a while now, but years ago when I was following it relatively closely, there is this culture with college coaches and college programs that if you're a freshman, ah, you're just a freshman, so you ride the bench almost no matter what, unless you're like an exceptional talent. Joey, you remember Jose Gomez, Choco, Jonathan Prieto, these sorts of guys that Brian graduated 15 years ago or whatever. It, okay, so they were starters, you know, as a freshman. But the by and large, the vast majority of players go to a college program, D1, whatever the case may be, you're riding the pine because the seniors and juniors have seniority and yeah, maybe they have more experience. The coach relies on them more, is more comfortable with them. And then how do you deal with that adversity? Many of them fold. Many of them yeah. fold for the same reasons because they came from being among the best players on their youth teams, being starters on their youth teams, scoring a lot of goals on their youth teams, getting some press attention from top drawer soccer, you know, on their youth teams. And you go to college and you don't play. How do you handle it? Yeah, that's hard, man. You, it's you, you're basically, issue. you're like royalty in your, in your club team. Yeah, and now you're a scrub. Yeah. Like, yeah. what do you do? Do you, So this is the mentality side, right? Obviously, if you have good habits, if you're a hard worker, responsibility, commitment, all those sorts of buzzwords, you just lower your head and you get to work. And you get to work. You can't work just as hard as the other guys. You have to work twice as hard as the other guys. And, and what I mean twice as hard is not just effort. I'm talking about amount of time. So if the other guys are going to their two-a-days, you do three-a-days. The third one on your own or with a personal trainer or you're in the gym or whatever. That's the only way you catch up if you are behind some other people. And it's going to take some time. But if you're just doing the same amount as the other guys who are also committed and disciplined, well, the other guys are always going to be ahead of you because you're all, both working the same amount and they're already ahead of you. You never catch up. Yeah. To say nothing of, not being disciplined or not having all those good qualities from the mental side of things, then the gap with the other guys just gets wider and wider and wider. And there comes a point, Joey, kind of like of no return, like whereby even if you flip a switch in your head and you're like, okay, now I'm mama mentality and you are mama mentality, even if you're mama mentality for two, three years, the gap has increased on you so much that you are just not going to catch it. It's over for you. Yeah. And that's when people quit. Yeah. Yeah. I tell the young players that I work with all the time, like they, they can't wait to turn that on. They have to have that now. They need to develop that now if they're going to really make it 100%. That gap starts to form. 
from the perspective of the player, I think I see this quite often too, you know, with, with a lot of players spread out across the landscape, it's pretty diluted. Top players are kind of everywhere. So it's really easy for there to be two or three really good players within a team. They just think like, because of their, you know, I'm the best player here, so I'm just going to play all the time. But then you go off to like a college program, or if you go to a pro program where there's other players around you that, you know, that they're, they're good. And also it depends what the coach wants. If they want a disciplined, physical, fit player, and you are just sitting there thinking that you're supposed to play just because you're the most talented player, that's a problem. That's a big problem. And I think this is where we see a lot of drop-off in talented players here. They just think because of their, their soccer talent, that's enough. And they're just entitled to play because of that. And they don't want to do the dirty work and get in the trenches and develop the other stuff. They just want to fall back on that soccer talent. Whether it's collegiate or pro, if that's your mindset, you don't have a chance. Yeah, man. So much to talk about. The, the, the fact that it's a job. If you become a pro, it's a job. And many uh, players, we touched on it briefly, have never even had a job in their life. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden, you, you're, and you find yourself being an employee. An employee, Joey. Yeah. You're now an employee and you have a boss. It's not your youth coach. It's a boss. And nobody can save you. Your parents can't go and complain to the coach. Your parents can't stir up stuff with the club. You're alone. Yeah. Either and, you and, do it or you don't. And Gary, this is, this is like even those players that don't, aren't going to go on to play college or pro, this is where they can develop those skills themselves at a young age for whatever oh. they go on to do. They've had that experience of understanding what that's about. So they're developing human skills, being in an environment like that where you're held accountable. Hey, you have to be disciplined. You have to work a certain way or there's a consequence. And when the parents come and try to save them from that, they're harming their development of those human skills to be able to excel when they get a job in whatever it is. Yeah, and it's a rough world out there. This whole notion that, oh, you're, you're hurting the player's confidence by either saying X, Y, or Z, or by not giving them enough playing time, or whatever the reason behind that comment, you're hurting the player's confidence. Gary, you and I both know this. When, when you are prepared, when you're prepared, you're confident. If you've gone yeah. through the process of really preparing well, you're confident in what you're doing, whatever it is you're doing. If you're not it's preparing whole, well. It's whole entitlement culture, right? Yeah. It's this whole, everybody should get a trophy. Everybody should be happy and picking daisies and stuff. It's like nobody should feel challenged at least not significantly, because their definition of challenge is, I don't know what it is, actually. It's something so minor, it's not a challenge at all. And we're talking real challenges. How did we get here, Joey? How, how is it? Because this extends beyond the soccer ecosystem phenomenon. It's just the culture at large, it seems, has continually devolved into this, everybody has to be nerfed. Everything has to be soft. Everybody has to have the same stuff, right? Equity. Everybody should have the same money. Everybody should have the same house. Everybody should have the same food. Everybody should have the same luxuries. Everybody should have the same, like any sort of disparity or gap is frowned upon. Um, oh, you're too good at math. You know, we're going to eliminate, you know, they're trying to eliminate so many places like calculus programs in high school and nerf STEM education altogether and, and be like, well, we can't have a program for quote unquote, like gifted science, math students, you know, no, 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 no. That's terrible. Everybody has to be the same. What kind of a message does that send to the kid who might not be good at math and they're put into the normal math class or, you know, back in the day, they would call it like a remedial math class to get the kid up to speed sort of thing. What kind we, it makes no sense, Joey. Yeah. And it makes no sense that teachers, right? I teach at a university, but you know, luckily I'm, I'm very fortunate at the position I have, but I know on a broad scale, teachers feel a lot of pressure and are incentivized to lower their standards, lower it, lower it, lower it, lower it. Like to the point where 
oh man, if, if anybody's like failing, it's kind of a reflection on the teacher versus, well, no, the kid or the student didn't do anything. They don't know anything. Like, what do you, what do you want me to do? You want me to, you want me to pass the student who has done no work and then maybe on examinations or whatever, just knows nothing. Are we just supposed to pass them? Um, it makes no sense. Or, or what used to pass for like a C or a B now is like, oh my God, you're amazing. You should get an A in this class. I, I mean, this is happening, Joey. This is happening. Like you're, you've done the bare minimum. You've turned in your homework. You've done okay on an exam. And everybody feels like, oh, then that person should get an A. It's fucking madness. Dude. Yeah. We, it's like we've been driven to seek comfort. That, that com comfort is the objective. And th this is even making it harder for us that operate in the soccer world because there's not just pressures within the soccer world. There's societal pressures too because comfort is good. Comfort is seen as good. And then we see this generation, you know, 10 years from now, these young people, 10 years of this seeking comfort, they're going to get to that point where they have to fend for themselves and they're not able to do it, man. I, I agree, Gary. It is crazy. It's crazy. It's like comfort is good. All of us are taught to seek out comfort. Well, I seek it out and I think comfort is good, but I, I know, I get your point. It's you in can't. In all things. Yeah, in all things, you can't have, you can't have the expectation that comfort is going to be bestowed upon you by the powers that be or by nature at all times in all places. And, yeah. and if you have that sort of expectations where it seems like it is, that, that exists, man, dude, I, I don't know. Cause we're charged with young people. I, I think it's our moral responsibility in many respects to not do that to young people. I think it's our moral responsibility to let them know, hey, there are no free lunches. You know, you get out what you put into it, this sort of thing. Because that is how the world actually works, Joey. That, that, yeah. that is how, it's like a, a law of nature, yes? If you're in the cave, food is not magically going to come to you. The rabbit is not going to come into the cave and be like, hey, here I am, eat me. No, you got to, motherfucker, you got to go out there and you got to starve a little bit and you got to develop tools. Yeah. And be on the hot sun, hiding, not knowing if you're going to get the rabbit or not. Yeah. Oh, it, like we've lost that, Joey. It's fucking yeah. bananas, dude. Yeah, that's how it was, man. And now it's like, it's just expected to be given to you. You don't have to go and fight for it. You don't have to go and work for it. It's just going to be given to you. So and Joey, advice, advice to coaches. Sorry to interrupt. Advice to coaches. Like, because they're listening. They're like, Okay, guys, yeah, I resonate with you. I know what you're talking Every coach knows what we're talking about, by the way. Yeah, yeah. There's no coach that doesn't know what we were talking about. What advice can you give to somebody who might be new, who is still struggling with the question, who has not given up? Because many coaches have just thrown their hands up, understandably, and have given up. You're like, they're like, yeah, I know, guys, but you know what? Fuck it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll just give everybody what they want, minimize the problems for me get my little $1,000 paycheck a month for a team or something. And I'll just cruise on by. And that's by the way, what the public claim they hate about youth soccer coaches in America is that attitude. But guys, it's not the coach's fault. This yeah. was done to the coach. This, you forced the coach into this decision of, you know what, this is what you guys want. All right, I'll give you this. Yeah. Have your vision as a coach, have your vision. Build leverage within your environment. Over the years, I've learned to have a bigger roster with my teams personally. There's challenges that come along with that. It's put me in a position where I have to communicate and I have to educate the parents as to why we are doing that. But if you have options within your roster, you can, you're in a better position to implement and develop the mentality of the players. You can hold them responsible. Uh, if they show up late, there can be a consequence. If, you know, if a couple plays in a game, they give 50% effort when it should be 100%, you can hold them accountable. You have, you have that leverage to go ahead and start making those decisions with your team. Now, as you start making those decisions, you're probably going to get some backlash. So there's going to be an education process, especially in the beginning as you start to go through it. You just have to have the, the courage to do it, build it. Once you get it going, maybe a, a, after a year of doing it, two years of doing it, 
there's a culture established. And now anybody new coming in adapt because the rest of the group already knows how it is. They're going to have to adapt to what you've already established within your team. And now you're off and rolling. It becomes not, not easier, but it's just smoother operation now that you've established it within your group. Hopefully beyond that, maybe, you know, other coaches do it too at your club. And then you have a club that wants to implement it. And then they're backing you and supporting you, which helps as well. I know that that's a big challenge um, for all of us. So hopefully as an individual coach, you can start to do that. And, um, you know, anybody can reach out to me if you ever have questions or anything. I'm, I'm happy to talk about this stuff. This is stuff that I think about all day, every day. Literally, yeah. literally all day, every day. <laughs> now, Joe, so when you say build leverage, how does one go about building leverage? Because yourself, Brian, have been exceptional at developing strong winning teams um, with an identity and a certain style of play whereby the parents are like, holy crap, like you're an amazing coach. This is awesome. And that has historically has built leverage for you guys to then implement maybe these other mentality developing initiatives, if I can call it that. But what if, uh, yeah, what if you're not winning, winning, winning? Would you say that's a challenge? Would you say that maybe that's a deal breaker? And it's fine if, if it is, because then that just goes to show that the pressure to win is important or winning is important and you can't escape that. Yeah. I think you build leverage by the way that you work as a coach every single day. You know, people, people can identify that someone is going above and beyond. And you know, when you're not just doing the minimum, you're putting in extra work, you're making the effort to communicate with the parents, you're making an effort to communicate with the players beyond the field, giving them homework assignments, doing doing things beyond just training the team two or three times a week, coaching the game. You set the example, you set the expectation of what, you know, the, the level that we're going to operate in this team is going to be. And if you're setting a high standard, I think that that starts to build you leverage. Then of course, how you structure the roster. Are you going out and recruiting new players? When you're recruiting new players, uh, the team notices that. You know, they see like, oh, okay, there's new players coming in. That's going to give you leverage. Of course, winning, you know, results, that's going to give you leverage too. But I think it all starts with how you work as the coach in the daily environment every single day. And if it's clear to everybody within your team that you are doing something more than what most are doing, then that's already starting to build you leverage. Got it. And final remark here, leverage sometimes comes with a negative connotation. I view it as 100% positive in that the leverage is going to be used for the benefit of developing the individual player. Because again, if you don't have this quote unquote leverage, then you're as a coach are being dragged left, right, up, down, and can't actually do good work because you're at the whims of external forces, external forces being parents, external forces being club business, et cetera, et cetera. So it has nothing to do with negativity, Joey. Building yeah, leverage to, for the betterment of the player. Yeah, absolutely. 100% Gary. All right, brother, where can people find you? I am on Twitter, Casio, C-A-S-C-I-O underscore F-G. And then on Instagram, Joey underscore Casio. Don't hesitate to reach out, man. I'm, I'm happy to talk, discuss answer questions, whatever anybody needs. I'm happy to do it. Is there anything we left out? No, I don't think so, man. I think we touched on a lot. You know, this is what we've kind of been talking a lot uh, about recently when we've been getting together, meeting up. So I think we, we touched on a lot of what we've been talking about, maybe even a little bit more. No, for sure. For me anyways, it's what specific activities can be utilized to develop the player's mentality. That's yeah. something that I've never, I've never really thought of. I mean, we've always spoken about two players directly spoke and to the team spoken about mentality and what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. And then through our actions in the training exercises, trying to make sure that everybody is locked in a hundred percent effort or, or consequences, right? Et cetera, et cetera. So it, it was always indirectly trying to teach 
good habits, mentality, commitment, responsibility, all that stuff, but never sort of objective things like logging tardiness, logging, putting the equipment away. You specific fools are responsible for X, Y, or Z tasks that are not soccer related on the training grounds. So I don't know. It's curious if that's something that can be done. Yeah, because we do say when it comes to the soccer specific exercises, you can't just talk about it. You have to show them how to do it. Right. It's the same thing with this, with this component of it. And right. I, to, personally, I've never thought about that much either, Gary. Yeah. I mean, it's come in my mind and past, but it's not something that is necessarily high on the priority list. You know, high on the priority list is training the team. Can you build out of the back? High on the priority list is what should a right winger be doing? High on the priority list is, okay, we're going to show you how to do X, Y, or Z with the football on the field. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. It was good. All right, brother. I'll let you go. Have a great day in peace there at the home. I imagine (laughs) you might relax a little bit and yeah, dude, let's see if maybe in a couple of weeks we can link up again. Absolutely, brother. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches, you can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. Lastly, if you're coaching 7v7, we've got you covered there as well. Go to 7v7coaching.com. Until next time, cheers, everyone, and keep building.